right, so Deuteronomy, Devarim chapter 1, uh, the word, it, it, it means words, and it starts out in chapter 1, verse 1, these be the words which Moses spoke unto all Israel on this side of the Jordan in the wilderness in the plain over against the Red Sea. And uh, so basically, uh, if you remember what we've been going through, you have Israel now coming to the end of the 40 years. And what we're going to read in this, in this portion is that we're now in the uh, 11th month, in the first day of the month of the 40th year. So they basically got one more month until uh, the exile in the wilderness, uh, the wandering in the wilderness comes to a close. At this point, everybody who uh, had transgressed 20 years old and above is dead. Um, uh, not even those who just transgressed, but everybody from that age, 20 years old and above, is now dead. And so all there's left of the original generation at this point is Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. And Moses is going to die, as we'll read at the end of this book, right before they go in. And so pretty much what this book now is, is kind of a recounting of everything they went through to this next generation that has come along. Many of them born in the wilderness who... Uh, probably never saw Mount Sinai and didn't, didn't see all the wonders that happened in Egypt. But they, they grew up um, living in the wilderness, being fed the manna and the quail that fell every day. And, uh, and so what's interesting to me is as Moses recounts this to the people, he tells it to them like they... Um, I might have to change that for water. He... he, he recounts it to them as though uh, as though they were the ones who were in Egypt and they were also the ones who stood at the mountain and received uh, the ten words and they said all this we will you say we will do and entered into covenant with God and basically what what happens is is as we'll read throughout the whole book is you have a renewing of the covenant with every single generation because it doesn't it doesn't just happen by default. Everybody in their own life, individually and then collectively as the nation, has to decide to choose to obey God. Because eventually what happens is they, they aren't doing that anymore. And that's why judgment ends up coming. And the, the nation gets split up and you have the northern tribes carried off. And Judah, who's eventually taken into exile into Babylon. And uh, so that's what we see happen here. So essentially what we see here is he's going to basically recount um, everything that's going on and led up to this time. So what we see is, uh, oh, I guess we'll just read a little bit of this. Um, well, let's go to verse 6, and we'll start there. Well, let's go to uh, 3, actually. Let's start there. It came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first day of the month that Moses spoke unto the children of Israel, according to all that Yehovah had given him commandment unto them. After he had slain Sihon, king of the Amorites, which dwelt in Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, which dwelt in Atzeroth and Edrei, on this side of the Jordan, in the land of Moab, began Moses to declare this law, saying, Yehovah our God spoke to us in Horeb, saying, Ye have dwelt long enough in this mount. Turn you, take your journey, and go to the mountain of the Amorites, and unto all the places nigh thereunto, in the plains of the hills, and in the valley of the south, the seaside, the land of the Canaanites, Lebanon, the great river, the river Euphrates. 
Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which Jehovah swore unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give unto them into their seed after them. So, here you have, he's recounting again, remember, what, what happened. And he's basically, what's so cool to me is you have this group of people who are getting ready to go into the land before, they're all dead now, except for those 20 years and older. So some of them are still alive, who would be anywhere from 20 to 40. Everybody under that didn't see this. And they were to go into the land, and the land, you know, that in and in it of itself, that they were just there on the footsteps of the, going into the land, should have been awe-inspiring to them. Because it was a fulfillment of of all the promises that God had given to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob in his faithfulness, all through everything they had gone through to lead them to this point, good and bad, to fulfill these promises of the land that were that were for them. And and they get there and they and they don't go in. <laughs> and they rebel. And um, so and then you get down to uh, verse uh, Nine and, and Moses basically says, uh, "I'm not. You guys are too much for me. I can't handle this. You know, it's just, just chaos." And so he appoints the elders, and it's a leader over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And so you have this breakdown of leadership. And remember, all these leaders that get appointed. Um, Let's start in 13. Take wise men, understanding, known among your tribes, and I will make them rulers over you. You answered me and said this thing, which I have spoken is good for us to do. So I took chief of your tribes, wise men, and known, and made them heads over you, captains over thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens, officers among your tribes. And I charged your judges at that time, saying, Hear the causes between your brethren. Judge rightly between every man his brethren and the stranger that is with him. You shall not respect persons in judgment, but you shall hear the small as well as the great, and you shall not be afraid of the face of man. For the judgment is God's, and the cause that is too hard for you, bring it unto me, and I will hear it. And, the, and I commanded you at that time all the things which you should do. And so they appoint all these judges, but these are the same leaders eventually that get uh, slain by God, and you get to the very end with Phineas. And um, they hang up what I believe is the rest of the leaders and slay the rest of the leaders of the people um, right before we get to this point. And so they're all dead now. And um, so then he just basically recounts where they go and that they search out the land. And then we get into verse 26. Notwithstanding, you would not go up, but rebelled against the commandment of Yehovah your God. You murmured in your tents and said, Because Jehovah hated us, he has brought us forth out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. So what ends up happening is the people exhibit a purely, um, a purely emotional reaction to what they're going through in the present moment. Instead of seeing, stepping outside themselves uh, and seeing... Not what what appears on the surface to be these great, mighty, strong armies that are that are ready to slaughter them, and how are they, you know, wandering slaves that came out of Egypt to go and conquer them? They're forgetting that they're living proof of the faithfulness of the God of the universe to keep His word to bring them all the way to this point. And so they don't trust in that. They don't believe that. They say God hates them. <laughs> they turn it around 180 degrees and say. No, no, don't trust 
what you could see, you know, all through our lives and history and forefathers, uh, you know, only believe the the knee jerk reaction to the our adversaries at the present time that we see. But what they they failed to remember was how he had slain uh, all the other people who had come up against them as they were wandering through the wilderness. And so they react from an emotional standpoint. And we do the same thing in our lives. We, you know, we see, we forget really quickly, you know, we, if we were to look back at our whole lives and see what has God has done and where he's brought us and how he's worked in our lives to uh, bring us to where we are and we could see his faithfulness and his blessing in that, we tend to hit a bump, what we perceive as a bump, and then blame God for it. And that's the battle that, we, that rages in, in, our, in, our, in our lives. And so we have to operate from, uh, from within us and our walk in relationship with God that's not motivated by uh, your knee-jerk reactions of emotions day to day to get weighed down by these little things that we see. We have to look back and see the track record. And that's what Moses is reiterating to them. He's saying, I brought you through all this. We pointed out all these leaders. You guys didn't go into the land. You rebelled. You know, don't do this again like your forefathers did, essentially, is what he's saying. Now we're starting new. You guys have seen all this. You've heard it all. You might as well have been there. Choose to do rightly. And so... looking at my notes, which I never look at. All right. Uh, well, let's keep reading. 28. So they murmur in their tents, and they say God hates them, and then 28. Whither shall we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our heart. That's, that right there is such a um, uh, a big thing. And, and um, I think that's happening a lot in this day and age, and even within the Messianic movement, especially with the whole end times thing that's going on. I think a lot of what's happening with the, the leaders these days is they're discouraging the hearts of the people and they're operating out of a place of fear instead of, no, our God goes before us and fights for us and he'll prepare the way. And if he can if he can conquer all the gods of Egypt and lead us out of there as slaves with nothing and without a year's supply of food and a, and a whole dog in our backyard, he can deliver us too. And when we don't have to be afraid. And instead, I think what's happening is we're, we're having leaders who are, you know, because they have to have something to say and they got to have people to follow them and, the, and everybody wants to know what's going to happen in the future and, and, they, and they, they get so absorbed in that and, uh, and it operates from a place of emotion and fear, I believe, instead of what does God want me to do in my life today? You know, you, you have... Um, the action taken by the people that is then improper because it's motivated from a place of fear instead of what's the word of God say? How do I live my life? How am I obedient to God? You know, where's my where's my sin? You know, what what? Try me, know my heart, oh God, and see if there's any wicked way in me. You know, that's that's what our people should be, and not not. Uh, being deceived by bad leaders, basically. Okay. So, 29, he says to him, Dread not, neither be afraid of them. Yehovah, your God, which goeth before you, he shall fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness, where thou hast seen how that Yehovah thy God did bear thee as a man doth bear his son, 
in all the way that ye went until ye came up into this place. Yet in this thing ye did not believe Yehovah your God. So that's really important too. They did not believe God. They did not trust Him. Because why? Because true faith, faithfulness, belief, and a life that walks out that faith and belief takes action and obeys God. And if they don't take the action and they don't obey God, then it's because they don't believe. It says in the Psalms that they erred in their hearts because they did not know me. Therefore I swore in my anger truly they shall not enter into my rest. You know, so it starts inside. And what, what, you know, what really grabs hold of your life? Is it your trust and your stable faith in God to walk out His ways or to be swayed by every ripple of uh, uh, trying and controversy that comes your way? That you know, Does that unseat you and derail you all the time? So, and God tests us. He tests our hearts. <clears throat> all right. Keep reading a little bit. 33, talking about God, who went in the way before you to search you out a place to pitch your tents in, in a fire by night to show you by what way you should go, and in a cloud by day. And Yehovah heard the voice of your words and was wroth and swore, saying, Surely there shall not one of these men of this evil generation see the good land which I swore to give unto your father, save Caleb the son of Yehovah, he shall see it. And to him will I give the land that he hath trodden upon unto his children, because he hath wholly followed Jehovah. So, what was the difference with Caleb? He wholly followed God. Why? Because he believed God. Because he trusted God. Because he had a different heart and spirit in him than the rest of the 12 guys. 11 guys. 10 guys. <laughs> Caleb and Joshua were two of the 10 who did believe and obey. The rest of them didn't. Who went in and spied out the land. 37. Also Yehovah was angry with me for your sake, saying, Thou shalt not go in thither. But Joshua the son of Nun, which standeth before thee, he shall go in thither. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Moreover, your little ones, which you said would be a prey, and your children, which in that day had no knowledge between good and evil, they shall go in thither, and unto them will I give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn turn you and take your journey into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. So then they say, oh no, we, we changed our mind. <laughs> I'll do it, I'll do it. It's like a kid, you know, they, they do something willfully and, and then you're like, all right, let's go. No, no, no I, 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 I promise I'll never do that again. You know, I'll go do it right now. It's too late at that point. You, because you made up your mind and what the parent knows and what God knows is they're you're just, you're just giving me lip service. There's really no change in you. So we're going to the woodshed, and I'm going to break your will to bend to what is right. Why? Not because he's mean and because he hates them and because, he's, because he knows it's what's best for them. Because he knows if, if he were to allow those people to go into the land, they would have run amok like nobody's business. And he would have had to completely obliterate them. So he had to deal with the wicked outside of the land, lest they go in and create a bigger problem. And he had to get rid of those leaders, and and apparently even Moses, it was not for him to go in, but for Joshua and for Caleb to go in and lead the people to start new, to start afresh, 
to be able to do what they were supposed to do. And it's the same thing when Yeshua came. He didn't go down to the temple and try to pick up a whole bunch of the Sanhedrin. No, he went to the, he went to the fishermen, you know, the simple folk in the Galilee to call his disciples to follow him so he could teach them. Because they had a suppleness about their heart and their spirit, which the leaders didn't have. They were set in their ways, you know. And I, I, <laughs> I talk to people about, you know, our congregation or me or what we're doing and, Oh, well, that's interesting. You know? Yeah, it is interesting. It's in your Bible. You know, what? Well, why? What is it inside us? And granted, I mean, I, I, I didn't always, you know, live a Torah lifestyle, but something inside the flesh of man naturally rebels against God's word and God's ways. And it's only those who are willing to crucify the flesh and pick up their tree and follow Yeshua and do away with their own gut reaction that I don't want to do that and will say, yeah, yeah, that's right. And will actually submit because what we're going to read, what we're going to read in the Torah, in the Hathor portion is eventually it gets to a point where when they're in the land where God says, why am I beating you anymore? It's, it's worthless. You, some, some of us who have children who know, you get to the point where it doesn't matter how much you beat them. They're not going to change. So what do you do with a kid eventually when they get to that point? And I was that kid. You, you kick them out. You say, you want to go be like that? Fine. You go have your cake and eat it too. Enjoy Babylon. And then they can, hopefully, that's enough to shock them out of it to see, whoa. You know, where have I gone wrong? Because that's, that's the struggle inside each and every one of us. And that's what we're going to see in the Tanhaftor portion is, is uh, you know, sometimes the discipline isn't effective anymore. And so he has to cut them off. And so he's looking for people who will respond to chastisement and respond to his chastening so that he can have a people that he can you know, herd together, you know, it's like if you're trying to herd sheep or, or something, and you, you know, you use a whip here and there to get them to, you know, go in, but you've got one that's just like, it doesn't matter how much you beat him, you know, then you either break his leg, and if he drags himself out, well then, good luck, have fun with the wolves. <laughs> so, in chapter two, basically, he tells them where they're not supposed to go. Uh, and that they're not going to get any land of the Moabites and the Edomites and how they're going to go in. And um, But uh, what I do love is in verse 25 of chapter 2, it says, This day will I begin to put the dread of thee and the fear of thee upon the nations that are under the whole heaven, who shall hear the report of thee and shall tremble and be in anguish because of thee. Man, I just love that. You know? It's more than just who we are as a weak, feeble, uh, feeble people, as a small little group who seem largely ineffective and, and, and can't do anything for themselves. God does something in the hearts and minds of our enemies to, that just rattles them. It was beautiful. Uh, the, it was on Facebook and stuff. The in, the in the Olympic Games, the Israeli, I think it was judo or taekwondo or some sort of martial, a judo, okay, he's fighting the Egyptian guy. Well, he just beat the pants off of him. It was great. 
And it was great, too, because he flipped them over and, like, pinned them. And it was, it was great. Yeah, so, but at the end of it, he was trying, he, you know, he's walking towards the Egyptian guy, shaking, to try to shake his hand or to, you know, you know, give him a kind of grab his hand like that type of thing. And the guy's just walking away. He wouldn't shake his hand, wouldn't touch him. And there, the sport dictates that you have to either bow or shake hands. And so he just walked off. They made him come back on and do, do a bow, which basically consisted of that, you know, which was nothing. And um, people were booing it. It was great. It was awesome. But so, I don't know. To me, that just kind of typified. So, you know, God fights on our behalf. You know, because he who touches Israel touches the apple of my eye. And, and, and they don't need even going into, because the same problem is happening today, even in the secular, unsaved uh, Jews of today, even in the saved Jews of today, which is a, 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 even a bigger problem, they're afraid to go up and take the land. They're afraid because, oh, we'll get bombed. Oh, you know, we'll get attacked. Oh, the Muslims are over there stabbing people with knives. Well, so what? We have a God who, who fights on our behalf, who sends a horn before us, who makes our enemies tremble. And a couple of us get stabbed along the way, big deal. You know, we go and we take the land. And so, especially in those who are followers of Yeshua, you know, who could go to the land, you know, we are not be afraid of our enemies, you know, because that's exactly what Satan wants, is he wants the people to not go into the land if he can make them afraid by driving buses through people and, you know, random stabbings and stuff like that. And it's our, it's our, it's our own people's lack of, of faith and trust and belief in God that, that, that exacerbates that. You know, because if everybody was like a Caleb and a Joshua... You know, no one could stand before Israel, but they're not. Amongst a whole other bunch of problems over there. Uh, all right, so that's what goes on in chapter 2, chapter 3. It's the last chapter of the uh, Torah portion. Um, and basically he just talks about where they went, what they did, and then um, giving the land to the Rubanites and the Gadites. And, um, let's see, I want to go down to 21. And I commanded Joshua, this is uh, chapter 3, verse 21. I commanded Joshua at that time, saying, Thine eyes have seen all that Yehovah your God hath done unto these two kings. So shall Yehovah do unto all the kingdoms, whither thou passest. You shall not fear them, for Yehovah your God, he shall fight for you. So they're not supposed to be afraid. And I think there's a lot of fear in the people of God today. Because it's an extremely powerful tool. That's what, you know, much of the marketing of the, you know, medical and vaccine world and, um, or you need this, you know, it's, it's, it operates out of a place of fear. Because if you can get someone afraid that because they didn't do such and such or they go such and such and place, you know, this will happen... It's really powerful, but and so God says you're not you're not supposed to fear anyone but me, because I'm the one who's in control of everything. So that's what He's trying to tell His people. So now let's go up to Isaiah chapter one. Isaiah 
Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah chapter 1. So now we're all the way to the point where the uh, uh, Judah, the northern kingdom's already been carried off captive. Now you have Judah who is on the verge of being carried off captive. And so you have Isaiah who is one of the prophets to, uh, <clears throat> to Judah during this time. And so this is the word that God gives him to say to them. So we're going to read most of this because it's not too, too long. Chapter 1. Verse the vision, the vision of Isaiah the son of Amaz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Hazaz, Hezekiah, and the kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth, for Jehovah has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know. My people do not consider. Doth not. And I find it interesting, too, that in this day and age, with everything being evolution and trying to tell us that we come from animals, and basically what they'll tell you is we are animals, that is not true. And we have to fundamentally stand up against that because the difference between us and animals is the dog does what the dog does. He's not going to go steal a car. He's not going to go rob someone. You know, he's not trying to murder. They, they're... They operate exactly how God created them to do. Why? Because the difference between the animals and us is God breathed into us the spirit of life. And so because of that, now we have the ability to disobey and to make decision and to make choice. Whether we want to act the way that God designed us and created us and, and has given us instructions to do so. Or to do all the myriad of horrible things that we have done on the earth. And so they want to say, and so that's why God says, you know, I've, I've brought up children and I've nourished them and I've fed them in my own house and they have rebelled against me. The stupid dog does what I tell him to do and when I call him he comes. But the kids who, you know, I've given everything won't obey me and won't listen to me. Four, ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, Children that are corruptors, they have forsaken Yahweh, and they have provoked the Holy One of Israel into anger. They are gone away backward. Verse 5. Why should you be stricken anymore? Ye will revolt more and more. That's what I was talking about. The whole head is sick, the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even unto the head there is no soundness in him, but wounds, bruises, putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, nor mollified with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour it in your presence, and it is desolate and overthrown by strangers. I mean, doesn't that just kind of sound like what's happening today in the, with the world? It's like, you know, I realize this is to, to Israel. But, but you can see that but the same patterns happen. Anytime you forsake God as a country, as a nation, all these things start to happen. But what happens? The people reassure themselves in their wickedness. They don't say, oh man, 
look at our sin and look at the horrible things and cry out and wail and moan and seek God's face for forgiveness, they solidify themselves and they don't even realize what they're doing is wrong. And so God says, I will give you over to that. You know, I'm so sick of your your Sabbaths and your holidays we're going to read. And it's a smoke in my nose and your prayer I will no longer hear. You know, we have these groups that get together and they gather, you know, prayer at the flagpole. We don't need any more prayer. It should be wailing and gnashing of teeth at the flagpole. But that's not going to happen. Because they want to say, oh, you know, let's pray about it. Well, God's sick of your prayers. He wants you to obey. He wants you to live rightly. He wants you to clean up your life. He wants you to change. Not sing songs about it and go pray around the flagpole. Or make more YouTube videos. <laughs> All right, let's keep reading. Eight, verse eight. The daughter of Zion. Uh, let me say real quickly. Zion is is that that area, and that's the name of our congregation now. Is that area, that city that where uh, the Jerusalem is in the mountains of Zion? But it also is used hand in hand for the people of God. That's why it says the daughter of Zion. The daughter of Zion is left as a cottage. So he gives you a mind picture here. Is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Otherwise, it's desolate. It's 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 a shack where people would go to hang out to get out of the sun in the midst of a cucumber field. It, whereas, it's just reading this morning in Psalm. Fifty, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. That's what Zion's supposed to be. That's what God's people are supposed to be. The perfection of beauty out of which God has shined. Not a shack and a cucumber garden. You know, but that's what we made it. That's what it is right now. Over there. And that's what God's people largely are right now. They're, they're this, you know, we're, we're caught up in whole, whole, holes and, and random buildings on the top floor, you know, and nobody knows where we are. And, you know, we're, we're ineffective. Nine. Except Yehovah of hosts. But here, here's the only saving grace. Had less unto us a very small remnant. We should have been as Sodom. And we should have been like unto Gomorrah. So accept that small remnant. So in other words, remember back to Lot and the Sodom of Gomorrah. The only reason Sodom and Gomorrah didn't go up in a cloud of smoke was because Lot and his family were there, basically. It was the only reason it was preserved. And once they were gone, there was nothing to keep it from burning up. And that's essentially what it is today in the world, is that there is so much destruction and chaos, and it's so sick, and, and God's people are not what they're being, you know, except there's a small remnant holding it all together. It's going to go up in a puff of smoke. So what's God say? Verse 10. Hear the word of Yehovah, you rulers of Sodom, and give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith Yehovah? I'm full of burnt offerings of rams and fat fed of beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of goats. 
When you come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread in my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with it. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make prayer, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. You know, that, that's the problem. You know, collectively and, and, and in Christianity and also in Judaism, the horrible things that go on in the, in the so-called people of God who say that they follow the Bible, they lift their hands and they go to many churches and they go to many churches and they pray. Well, you know, their, their lives are full of chaos and, and bloodshed literally or figuratively in the fact that they're, you know, they... Marriages are a mess, and kids are a mess, and they'll abandon kids, and they'll do to you know, and and adultery, and you know, all manner of wickedness. You know, the, then then the great thing that happens is you get the people who are supposedly the the light, the people of God, and and then they start to deny the one who bore them. Right? They say, "Well, I don't know that I believe that you know Yeshua is God anymore," and then you know, so they start to. Pick apart the word of God. Because that's what—that's the same model with Korah. Who made you boss? Who puts you in charge? We have the spirit of God on us too. You know, so they go after Moses and they go after Yeshua. And that's the two things we always see. So, you know, then we get people, you know, going to these, you know, big Christian concerts and soul fests and waving their hands. And, you know, God does not want to hear that. Because... They're such a mess and they don't even know it and they don't even want to turn back to him because they won't pick up their Bibles and they won't read and they won't let their heart be soft and supple to be changed. And so we propagate more chaos in, in our lives and in our country, in our communities. So what's God say? Wash you, make you clean. Put away the evil, over verse 16. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes and cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, saith Yehovah. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They be, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And if ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel... You shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken it. You know? You know, he's just, he just doesn't mince words. You know, so what does he want? He, you know, clean up your life. Do what's right. Repent and mourn. Learn. Be willing and be obedient. And that and that and that it forces change in your life. It's not always that easy. It, it it will cost you in certain ways, but the other path just leads to destruction. You know, God will send the sword. You know, there's only judgment, and He did. He did it with His own people. You know, He he killed off everybody 
in the wilderness. You know, he hung the leaders up. Phineas stabbed the guy through. All right. I think we're at the end of that. Well, actually, it goes to 27. We'll keep reading. It keeps getting better. (laughs) How the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of judgment. Righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. Thy silver has become dross, thy wine mixed with water. Thy princes are rebellious, the companions of thieves. Everyone loveth gifts and follow after rewards. They judge not the fatherless, neither doth the cause of the wither come unto them. Therefore saith the Lord, Yehovah, host, the mighty one of Israel, Ah, I will ease me of mine adversaries and avenge me of mine enemies. And I will turn mine hand upon thee and purely purge away away thy dross and take away all thy sin. And I will restore thy judges as at the first and thy counselors as at the beginning. Afterward thou shalt be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed with judgment and her converts with righteousness. Uh, where it says there in 27, Zion shall be redeemed with judgment and her converts with, with righteousness. The word converts literally means those who turn back. Those who turn away from their wickedness and their sin. And that's what Yeshua and, and, and John the Baptist were saying when they can. They say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Turn away from your wicked life and your wicked doings and turn back to God. Repent, mourn, learn, be willing, be obedient. That's what he was calling them to. You know, he wasn't calling them back to Judaism. He wasn't calling them to anything. He, he was calling to restore Israel and his people to the ways of righteousness and justice that were laid out in the Torah. But it had to be born forth from a heart that was willing. The heart that Moses had, that Phineas had, that Joshua and Caleb had, that didn't fear what was on the outside? They served their God who they trusted, who had done mighty things, who they saw when they stepped up to that water, the Jordan, they said, we're here because of the promises of God to our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who led them all the way and us through the wilderness and through Egypt and has brought us here. And the same thing he's done for us. You know, we have millennium of, of history and how could, how could God's message survive through you know, the the Yeshua being crucified, and then the people being scattered into exile, and and then you know all the way led up to here in America, and, and but why? God's Spirit moves in a person, and then if they're willing and they'll and they'll repent and they'll change their ways and learn, you know, He starts to change their life, and that's that's what we need to go forth into our communities with, into our uh, into our congregations with. You know, that there is a God who created everything, and He does require of you, of you things, and their paths of life and peace, if you'll follow them. Because otherwise, to turn away will only lead to destruction and death. So let's go to John chapter 15. Verse 1. For our portion from the Ex-Apostolic Scriptures. Fifteen, verse 1. Yeshua speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. 
Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. And if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch that is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done for you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. So this is such a beautiful passage, because he gives us this agricultural concept of, of a vine and bearing fruit. I've never pruned vines or, or done anything with wine, but I did do apple trees, and it's basically the same thing. If you cut off an apple branch, it doesn't produce any more apples. It has to be a chap attached to the tree. So Yeshua says, I am the vine, or the tree, and my father is the husbandman, and the husbandman is the one who tends to the vine, the orchard. He comes through, and so if you're not in the vine, you're not going to get pruned. But if you are in the vine, you get pruned. And that's why it said in, the, in our Haftarah uh, portion that he purges the dross out of the silver. He will purify his people. And so it's, it's our purpose to produce fruit. When, when the Bible talks about fruit, it's the fruit of good works of righteousness. It's obedience to God and his Torah. And so the only way you can produce fruit is by obeying that. And God will prune things out of your life so that you produce more good works of righteousness. And get rid of the... Because like on an apple tree, what you're looking for is, if there's a branch, you get rid of the... There's certain branches that won't... Uh, little shoots off that branch that won't produce fruit. And they will cause too much shade to the rest of the tree. And so if there's a branch who's not getting pruned as it should be, it causes problems to the rest of the tree because it creates too much shade... And so the rest of the tree can't produce as much fruit. So, you sh- so God comes through and he prunes off all those extra little shoots that, cr- that uh, just suck extra energy and take up shade and limit the whole rest of the body tree from producing fruit. That way that, that branch or vine will produce more fruit and do what it's supposed to. So the only way that we as the followers of God produce fruit is to abide in that tree in that vine which is Yeshua and so when he came he walked out uh, he was the only person to come and walk out a pure sinless life and give us the model for how we're supposed to live and the bizarre thing is we don't live like he did you know we make cute little rubber bracelets to say WWJD and it's you know what would Jesus Yeshua do but then most of the you know most most of the world doesn't do what he did you know, we find cool reasons around doing what he did and explain it away. Uh, even um, a woman I was talking to at the, at the bank, we, you know, I said, 
Do you know? Oh, okay, wow. Well, you guys are Messianic Jewish congregation. And I was like, well, sort of, yeah. And I kind of explained it a little more. And, um, you know, and then the next time I saw her, one of her statements was, well, you know, since, you know, Jesus came, we, you know, we're now no longer under the old law. And I was like, and oh, because we were talking about kosher. And, and the vision of Peter and the sheep, and now we can eat unclean things. And I said, well, the vision of Peter and the sheep had to do with uh, Cornelius. It was about men, you know, being accepted into the kingdom or not. Because of whether what their position, you know, because they were a Gentile or whatever. It had nothing to do with food. And, and then, you know, so we didn't really get into it much. But, but that is the predominant knee-jerk reaction of most of the, the Christian world. That Yeshua came and did away with the Torah. Well, that'd be like saying, uh... The, the vine grew, and the farmer came and cut it down. <laughs> you know, essentially, because the only way we can bear fruit is we, if, we, if we walk out a life that Yeshua did. And what we see in his life is a perfect balance, a just wage and measures in his walking out of the Torah. Because a lot of times, certain commandments don't have specific... Um, specifics about them, how to do them. And so what we see in Yeshua's life is, a, is, is the heart behind the commandment. And that heart, that, that spirit that he had that now resides in us is what gives us the ability in various situations in the exile to walk out his word righteously with the correct motivation and, and, and uh, knowledge and ability to do so. Otherwise, it's just black words on white paper. It's, there's no life in it. You know, what, what God doesn't want is children who just, check that one off, check that one off. You know, there's no relationship. There's no heart there. And eventually, they won't, they won't do it. You know, it's like a per, I, I don't know, I can't think of a good example right now, but, well, it's like, okay, you got I used to play soccer. You got a soccer team. Some kids, everybody shows up for practice and does the drills, right? But there's some kids who, they love it, you know. It's it's inside them. They're motivated. They they try the hardest. They got other kids who who don't, right? And they they're just there because their parents make them. And so what if the fallout eventually is one succeeds and the other one doesn't because was there any motivation inside them to do it? They may show up to practice and go through all the drills. And they could, you could go to the temple and bring your offerings and your sacrifices and the moons and do all these things. But if there's nothing inside the person, eventually they'll rebel and they'll leave and they will be cut off because of that. So that's what Yeshua was saying here. This isn't a cute, fun saying. You have to put it back into context of the whole of Scripture and what he was saying and doing. And it's huge. Where were we going through? Uh, through 11. 11, so let's wrap last verse. These things I have spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. So that's where to true joy and, and full joy resides, is only when we are being obedient to God. Because, you know, we see it all through the Tanakh and, and what we're reading in the Torah portion. The people 
you know, they did not have joy when they weren't obeying God. Whereas if they had obeyed God, they would have had a lot of joy. But instead they died and wandered in the wilderness. So we as the people of God need to not fear. We need to be willing to follow Him, to do what's right, to be obedient unto Him. And um, and then there will be joy in that. Outside of it, where we think there's joy in freedom, it's actually just slave, slavery to sin. And we're not, there is no freedom and joy in that. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we just thank you for this day and this word that you've given us. And uh, the truth of it, help us just to walk out your word and your ways and to do what's right and be obedient unto you. And uh, just instill your spirit and your word into us that we might bear much fruit and, uh, and that you would cause us to walk in your ways. So I just thank you for Shabbat and this time to be together and to serve you and for your word. Uh, just give us a good week. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen.